Let's take a little time and talk now about the state that we are living in. Political, spiritual, maybe some life. While you are listening to Phyllis Favre. favorite listeners welcome back to the pastor's office and may i be one of the first to again say happy new year welcome to 2021 a year of new opportunities a year of new possibilities a year where you can make the positive change that you've been looking to make listen I've got a special guest that has joined us in the pastor's office. He's been a friend of mine for a long time now. As a matter of fact, when he met me, I had hair on my head and I had no gray. Uh, now I'm balding and, well we'll, well, well, we'll talk about all the rest later on. But he's been a wonderful colleague and friend. Uh, he's actually helped me a lot uh, to understand the ways, the po- proper ways to operate a small business. And uh, we here... Here at Jam Media and Jam Jack Jr., uh, we use his services, uh, many of the services that he offers for small businesses. So if you are a small business owner out there in Philadelphia or across the nation listening on our stream or our app, uh, if you know somebody that is a small business owner, I want you to get them to listen to this right now. Tell them, tune in to Philly's Favor 100.7, 99.5 HD3, or down Download our app or listen to our stream because we're going to give them some information right now that they can benefit from, that they can use. Because we have the nation's leading small business expert. He is the CEO and founder of New Tech Business Services. He's based in Florida. The business is all over the country. I want to welcome into the pastor's office Barry Sloan. Barry, how are you today? Jonathan, couldn't be better. Everything's good, and happy, healthy New Year to you. Listen, listen, I already told you when we signed on, I'm jealous. You're down there in the heat of Florida looking at the ocean, but I know you're working hard for all of your clients, uh, all of your customers. And again, let me be one of the first to wish you a very happy New Year, my friend. Thanks, Jonathan. And uh, we're going to have a good 2021. It's going to be a good one. I can feel it. Listen, listen, first question right off the bat. What in the world has taken Congress so long to infuse some help to small business and to the American public? What's the problem? Well, unfortunately, Jonathan, you know, politics entered into doing what's right for the uh, for the American people, both from a consumer standpoint, unemployment benefits, checks, as well as for the small business owner. And it's unfortunate you know, and you could blame the, the the Republicans, you can blame the Democrats. There should have been a program in August, and the program in August would have been prospectively a down payment. Um, politics entered into it. Um, you know, one side wanted a three point six trillion dollar program, and these these are big numbers. 
I mean, we're, it's sad, but we're getting used to these big numbers. The other side wanted a $500 billion program. They settled at $900 billion, and they say it's a down payment. But look, I will tell you this. You know, realistically speaking, the unemployment rate is 7%. A lot of people are hurting. There are a lot of people that are dislocated from what is working in the market. So this new round of COVID relief is going to help bridge us to get back to a normalized economy. And hopefully, and I believe the vaccine will help a lot. It'll go to those that are affected most. And I believe that beginning in April, people will just stop talking about COVID a lot. Well, I want to ask this, though, Barry, uh, because you are the small business expert, because you help thousands upon thousands of small businesses, you've had a unique perspective uh, as to uh, the impact of this virus on small businesses. We can all read the statistics. We can all see the news and the sound bites. But as one that is specifically focused and whose business model is focused on uplifting and elevating small business, what's the impact that you've seen from your vantage point? Well, obviously, the problem with the pandemic is that it changed behavioral patterns. Um, behavioral patterns from the standpoint that um, medical experts believe that the way to control COVID during this window where there was no virus was to reduce crowd control, to wear masks, to socially distance. Um, and right, wrong, or indifferent, um, there were restrictions that were put on the population that really hurt a lot of businesses. Tremendous. I mean, uh, whether it was cruise ships, whether it was airlines, whether it was restaurants, gymnasiums, et cetera, there are certain businesses and employees of those businesses that were grossly affected by the restrictions and the so-called experts there's going to be a bunch of data that's going to come out after the fact that's going to talk about whether these restrictions were right or wrong. We'll put that aside. But that's what's affected small businesses. And, Jonathan, I think we do know that there are some businesses that have flourished due to the pandemic, and there are some businesses that have suffered. And if you look at the stock market, which is at record highs, and the stock market doesn't lie, there have been – I'm going to say more economic winners than losers during this period of time. The dispersion is a whole other conversation. We can get into that. But there have been more winners than losers. Well, I'll give you a tale of two cities. I mean, uh, one, uh, the, the, the anybody, anybody that's in the funeral business right now has done very well. Uh, those right. that are in banking and loans, uh, they've done very well. But then on the other side of it, Barry, it's those that work in retail, uh, those that those that where where a lot of uh, minorities, people of color, are employed. Uh, those that work for restaurants, nightclubs, uh, amusement centers all of the and these are ma these are these are businesses that hire lots of people that employ lots of people these people have suffered uh, through this pandemic and and it's so sad to to look at somebody who's invested their whole life into building their business and now their doors are shuttered and I've got to imagine that you've encountered a lot of that uh, as 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 new tech focuses and specializes on small businesses yeah we we our entire business model uh, and solution set 
is focused on independent business owners who employ 40% of the workforce in the United States. So prior to COVID, people thought that, you know, the, the Microsofts and the Googles and the Amazons, you know, employ most of the workforce and they employ a lot of people. But most of the um, U.S. workforce is employed by SMBs, small and medium-sized businesses. And with the restrictions on those businesses, it's been really difficult. And um, it's a tough situation. And it's very unfortunate that Washington paid more attention to the politics of the election, not taking a down payment and serving constituents. You know, I am happy that President Trump gave up his thought process of not signing that bill and signing it at the last moment. He did the right thing. Money should start to be um, moved in terms of consumer checks, I would say, beginning of next week. And I think that the PPP funding will probably start to circulate to businesses by the middle of January. So let's take a look at, at, at uh, something you shared earlier. You said by April you think people will stop talking about uh, the pandemic uh, or stop talking about COVID. Uh, in your mind, you've got your ear to the ground. You're always, uh, you know, you and I always talk offline about what the economic wins and fortunes and futures look like. Uh, what does recovery actually look like to you as relates to small businesses? I think what recovery looks like to me is a business environment that is 85 to 90 percent of what I'm going to call the norm. What does that mean? Jonathan, you know, five to 15 percent of the population are not going on an airplane that would have gone on an airplane. Five to 15 percent of the population are not going on a cruise ship. They're not going into a casino. They're just not doing it. Um, You're going to have 30 to 40 percent of the workforce that will not have to go into an office building. They're not going to have to commute. So, I mean, all these things are changing. Frankly, carbon emissions will go, they haven't calculated what they are for this year. They got to be down significantly and they'll be down even more next year. So, you know, retail establishments, office buildings, there's so much change and turmoil that's going to go around. And I have to say, from a long-term perspective, Jonathan, I know this is perverse, but it's actually healthy. It's a healthy situation that we've experienced this this mess it will wind up you know being very painful for many but long term the economy is going to change businesses are going to change people are very resilient and they will figure out how to how to make it work and how to adapt i believe in that i believe in the faith and i i'm very optimistic going forward the government needs to provide the bridge and the safety net to get people through this so there's minimal amounts of suffering during that window. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about um, the mom and pops, the small businesses that, that you've specialized in over the years. Uh, one of the things that I've seen, Barry, in talking to, uh, we just had our state representative on here last week uh, and speaking to the mayor of Philadelphia two weeks earlier, one of the things that we've talked about is access to these government funds, um, being able to actually get the money uh, that has been set aside for small businesses. Here's what's been uncovered through this, as you call it, mess. The, what's been uncovered is the fact that a lot of small businesses do not keep excellent financial records. So when it comes time to show a P and L uh, of uh, of 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 um, 
of uh, losses year over year, quarter over quarter. Many of these businesses do not have that paperwork. Then again, many businesses don't have a personal relationship with their banking institution. So so in many respects, a lot of these small businesses were cut out, uh, not because they didn't want to get the funds, but they just didn't know how. And then when they found a way, they didn't have the proper financial records to get it before maybe it ran out. Uh, how is New Tech uh, helping to uh, arm small businesses in this round? Uh, and what suggestions would you make for those that uh, are not yet customers of yours uh, to make sure they're prepared to benefit from this round of funding that's coming? Sure. Regarding the, the PPP financing, which is, I'll refer to that as the bridge money, you know, that's money to, to get you through the next couple of months of working capital. Um, the, the documents that are required to get those loans are more organizational documents, um, you know, evidence that there is a real business and it's not a phony business. Um, it's really not that hard to qualify for a PPP loan. When I say that, you've got evidence that you're in business, you've got revenues, you have a secretary certificate, you've got real payroll, you pay your taxes. You know, it's the basic organizational documents of a business that one should have relative to qualifying for a term loan subsequent to a PPP loan and having the loan uh, basically be underwritten on the basis of, as you say, balance sheet projections, income statement projections. To be frank with you, if somebody were to come to us and they didn't have that accounting group, we have people that we recommend. I mean, one, for example, 1-800-ACCOUNT, it's an easy thing. They'll, they'll help you get your financial house in order. And today, Jonathan, you know, the utilization of an accountant or some financial executive, it can be outsourced and it can be done so at less than the cost of a full-time equivalent because you have a, a small business, three people, five people, ten people. You can't afford, you can't afford an internal CFO or CPA. But you could do that outsource for about a third of the cost, and that's pretty much all that you need. So we certainly could recommend people that can help you do that. We don't do it, but there are parties that can do it today and do it cost-effectively. I think the important part that you're addressing here is the education, which is if you walked into one of these large banks, they don't tell you where you can go. They just say, well, you don't have financials. Come back when you have them. And the reality is business owners need help. They need advisors. They need direction. We're, we're specialized to help them with that. Absolutely, and I can certainly testify to that fact. Hey, we're here at Philly's Favor, 100.7 FM, 99.5 HD3. We are talking to the small business expert, uh, the founder and CEO of New Tech Small Business Services, Barry Sloan. We're having a great discussion uh, about this next round of stimulus that's coming to the country. Barry, let's go ahead and get into it. Uh, this bill has been passed. The president uh, kind of acted as if he wasn't going to sign it for a while then finally stepped up last night and signed the bill. What does this bill contain? How is it going to benefit the American people? And how does it benefit small business? Well, uh, I'll start off with small business. Uh, and, you know, as we said, they, they, they employ 40% of the workforce. So um, by giving small business owners the ability to borrow up to $2 million, um, based upon monthly payroll, 
two and a half times for most businesses, three and a half times for restaurants and some hospitality businesses. This will give them the funds to pay staff, rent, overhead, and some other expenses. It can be forgiven if the funds are used for the designated expenses. Otherwise, it's a 1% rate of interest, that's my understanding, for about a two-year term. So it's very affordable funding, which most of it, if used properly, should be forgiven, to get the bridge going so that, and I'm just using you know, April as in, from my own mindset, I think that by the time April comes around, 100 million out of 335 million people will most likely be vaccinated. You take that with the 50 people that probably have been infected and don't necessarily know it or do know it, it's almost half the population. You're getting close to Dr. Fauci's moving target of herd immunity, <laughs> right? And remember they said herd immunity? No, don't talk about herd immunity. Now I talk about herd immunity again. It's like mask, no mask, mask. Nice people know what the heck they're talking about. But the reality is one of these the days concept- we're going to come back and talk a little politics, Barry. We won't do it today because we want to help the no. folk. But I hear it in you. I I'm, hear it. I'm sorry. Well, I'm trying to. It's really hard to figure out what to do. Right. But the reality is I look through all this mumbo jumbo and I go mathematically because I'm just dealing with mathematics. Sure. If you get to 50 percent of the population that is taken out, all of a sudden those numbers are going to go fall through the floor and, and people could start to live their lives again. That's the point. Then these businesses, people aren't going to be afraid. They're going to be less afraid to go into restaurants. They're going to go on cruise lines. They might even go to baseball games, um, and they should, and they should. Okay. All right, so so in this bill, we've got the PPP coming back. We've got the economic disaster loans. I know that there have been special provisions yep. for certain business types. I'm, uh, you, know, you know, I'm in radio, as you well know. Uh, I looked at some of the trade publications uh, relative to media because media's been hit hard. Nobody's advertising if their business is not open. Uh, it's just common sense. Uh, but, but I guess my question to you is, on PPP and on the disaster loans, if you had them back in March, if you got them in May, if you got them in April, is there a provision in this bill uh, where those businesses can refill, can go back to the well again for both PPP and disaster loans? Yes, sir. It's called the second draw. And in this bill, businesses that got money the first time around are going to be allowed to get a second draw if, in fact, their revenues were down 25% in any one quarter. Okay. All right. All right. And and what do you believe the turnaround time is going to be? Because I know that's what a lot of small business owners are sitting back looking at right now. Okay, the bill's been passed. When will money end up in my bank account? Because that, at the end of the day, is what's going to make a difference for me. I could see money begin to flow, provided that the Treasury and the SBA get the rules out, which I think is going to happen second week in January. I think money could begin to actually flow the businesses at the beginning of February so that people would start to get their account funded in February. Do you believe this time that the government's going to get it right, though? I know the first go-round, there was a lot of clunkiness, because let's face it, our infrastructure, our federal infrastructure is not set up to push money out this quickly. Um, Do you think we're going to get it right this time and be able to get the monies out fast? I I do, Jonathan, and... um, you know, as we uh, went through this together the first time around, 
they created a program, set rules out two days later, and then they wanted 4,000 lenders who had no knowledge of what the program was to stand up a program from scratch. You have to get software in place. You have to get policies and procedures in place. You have to train staff. Uh, I mean, it was literally starting a business from scratch. It was a miracle how that program worked. Now, I know it's very easy from the outside to be critical of it. You know, I get my money fast enough, but they moved out close to $700 billion worth of funds in a couple of months. And yes, there was fraud. There was some malfeasance. I'm not suggesting that that's acceptable. It's totally unacceptable. But a lot of money went out very quickly to a lot of small and medium-sized business owners who were, who were able to keep their staff in place. We funded $1.2 billion of loans, and it was, you know, it was estimated that that money went to keep 130,000 uh, people employed during that period of time uh, to bridge. Unfortunately, this pandemic has lasted longer than people anticipated. Uh, some people were hoping it would go through the summer and it would die. It didn't happen. We're now dealing with a, with a, with a spike, but the vaccine should really reduce the amount of infections significantly beginning in March. So what it should start to go plummet down. Just 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 a couple more things. I know you're busy, but I want to make sure that our Phillies favorite listeners get all of the information that they need. Uh, and then I want you to talk about how they can access your company uh, for assistance as we go forward. Uh, many small business owners have had loans uh, through the Small Business Administration, 7As. Uh, do uh, have the provisions for 7As been relaxed uh, in this new round of funding? And will the government in this new round of uh, of of, of funding, new round of relief, will they be relieving small businesses again of principal and interest on existing loans? So um, one of the benefits to this program is that, and the, the term of art is Section 1112 payments, which is the section in the, in, in, the, in the bill. So there will be principal and interest payments for existing SBA borrowers that will be made by the government. They are capped at around, I believe, $9,000 a month. Some of the rules and regs are still being written. But for businesses that have got, you know, uh, SBA loans from a million or two million and under, they're probably going to get three, four, five, or six months worth of principal and interest payments made for them, in addition to the fact that they're also going to be able to draw PPP funds. Um, This is going to be able to bridge small businesses and the small business economic infrastructure to get into that second and third quarter where we have a more normalized economy again. Gotcha, gotcha. Barry Sloan, I want to thank you so much for being with us today. I know uh, for some of the listeners, this conversation got a little technical, a little wonky, but it's important because there are small businesses out there that need help right now that are trying to figure out how they're going to stay afloat in this most unusual of times. So what I want you to do right now for me before we leave is just share with our our, our, our listeners how they can get in touch with New Tech. Share 
share some of the services you offer. Let me first offer my testimony. New Tech handles my health insurance uh, for all of my employees. They handle my payroll. They handle my credit card processing, uh, and they handle and they handle uh, probably two or three other things that I cannot recall right now. So I want our listeners to understand the vast suite of services that you offer for small businesses, and I want them to be able to get in touch with you. So share a little bit about this business that you founded, this business that you love, this business that's your passion. Thanks, Jonathan. And, and we're a publicly traded company, stock symbol N-E-W-T, like the salamander, and uh, established in 1998 out of a spare bedroom in a New York City apartment. Uh, today we have over 410 employees that focus on handling small and medium-sized independent business owners all over the United States and 50 states. Uh, many of you may need PPP funding or term loans. You can come to our website at newtech1.com, N-E-W-T-E-K-O-N-E.com, and you can put a referral into the system, and you'll be able to be connected to a business service specialist. I'm also going to get Jonathan a copy of the bill relative to PPP loans, so you can put that on his website. Sure. You certainly can get that information from contacting us as well, so you can become very familiar with PPP, because that's the bridge to get to the other side. What we do is we give business owners the tools that are, that are small and medium-sized, that are the same tools that the giants have. Um, we help them with their technology. We help them with their payroll health and benefits, and we help them with their payment processing. Because smaller businesses, they can't afford a, a chief technology officer. They can't afford a CFO. They can't afford a human resource person. We'll give them the tools to make payroll, pay their taxes, get the right insurance policies, give them the right technological infrastructure for security, managing the hardware, the software, and we will also lend them the funds to be able to grow their business. So we really focus on independent business owners. That's our bread and butter, and certainly appreciate the relationship that we've had with Jonathan, this radio station, and look forward to helping anybody in any market in any economy. Ladies and gentlemen, Philly's favorite listeners, you have been listening to the person I call the small business expert, uh, the best in the country, Barry Sloan, owner, founder of New Tech Small Business Services. If you need help, please reach out to them. We're going to put their information on our website. Uh, we're going to make sure on all of our platforms that you know how to reach them. Barry, thank you so much for taking time out of your day to talk to us, and we hope we'll be able to call on you again in the future. Would love to be involved. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank uh, you so much. Thank you so much. We'll be right back after these commercial messages. Hey, Philly's favorite listeners, welcome back. And I just want to thank the CEO of New Tech Small Business Services, Barry Sloan, for joining us today. It is my ardent hope and prayer uh, that you took some of the information that he gave and that you'll be able to use it as this next round of funding becomes available uh, through the SBA. Uh, we want to make sure that our small businesses owned by 
people of color in our communities will have access to these funds. So please, please go to newtech1.com, reach out to Barry and his team. They are standing by to help you make sure you're able to access these dollars. Now I am ready to introduce our second guest of the day. Uh, This gentleman is blazing trails at a very young age. Uh, He has made Forbes 30 under 30 list uh, at 29 years old. He's a prolific and award-winning writer. You've seen his work uh, on CNN, BET, the Huffington Post. Uh, He's the editor-at-large of Philly Mag. He even owns his own company. Uh, He's the CEO of Ernest Media Empire LLC. Uh, And now, as of yesterday, uh, he is the installed president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. Why don't you help me welcome into the pastor's office, Mr. Ernest Owens. Ernest, Happy New Year and welcome to the pastor's office. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you for the warm introduction. <laughs> listen, listen, man, I get impressed. Uh, and and, and as a, I'm an old wrestling fan, I, I go way back with wrestling, but there's a guy by the name of Jesse Ventura who used to be the governor of Minnesota. Yeah, yep, yeah, Yes, yep. sir. He used to say during his wrestling announcements, I'm impressed and I don't impress easy. Uh, but after reading your bio and watching some of your interviews over the last week and a half, man, you are an impressive brother, graduate of the University of Pennsylvania, uh, now heading towards your master's degree. Um, Man, you're just doing the job. How did you end up with this great passion for journalism? Um, Interesting. So it started really in college. My freshman year, um, I really got into journalism by default. It wasn't even something I was seeking out. You know, I had graduated from high school in 2010, and you know, I was class president, Victorian of my high school, I went to a public school in Houston, Texas, um, and pretty much, you know, came to the University of, of Pennsylvania with this thought of being a politician because Obama had just became president in 2008, and so you know, that energy about you can be whoever you want to be, you can be the president, all of that, you know, I had those type of aspirations. But when I got to campus, you know, I really did student government and did some other activities, but, you know, took up a radio show and radio really became this opportunity for me to just be, you know, be outspoken and and do my thing. And then someone told me, hey, you know, I love how you sound on the radio. If you write how you talk, you'll be a hit. Hmm. And I started to uh, do a column uh, for the school paper called The Earnest Opinion. And then my writing really started to pick up some um, momentum, and I started to do internships and write professionally while I was in school. And at 21, I really got the chance of a lifetime from Ariana Huffington, who used to be the uh, CEO of now what is now HuffPost, but at the time it was the Huffington Post. And she gave me an opportunity of a lifetime to you know, be a contributor for the Huffington Post while I was a junior in college. And so my national writing in- input began very early in my years and it just began to you know quickly blossom after that and you know I, my major became communications in undergrad 
and really start to pursue that. And, and my career took off pretty much in a nutshell. Now, one of the things I like, and I've read a lot of your work over the last week and a half since we knew you were coming on, man, you don't have a problem with letting folks know your opinion. Uh, you don't have any issue with telling people where you stand on the issues. Do you find that as a young uh, black journalist that that causes some issues, that that shakes up some people's norms, uh, maybe even intimidates some? I mean, of course. I think that black people in general, you know, even black youth specifically, are often, you know, treated as, um, you know, a threat. Regardless of whether we are journalists or activists or protesters, just black people in America, you know, our presence alone, you know, oftentimes intimidate those who try to oppress us. So, you give, you know, a, a black man or woman a, a pen or a pencil to express that in the written form. You give them a platform like media to be able to translate ideas that are that are radical, progressive, enlightening and, and, and um, inspirational. That will definitely, you know, shake the table of those who don't want to see us liberated and informed. So absolutely. Yeah. And you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm of the John Lewis ilk. Uh, continue to get in good trouble. Uh, continue right. to let your opinion be known because there are too many of us that have kowtowed, uh, that, are, that are afraid to share what the real situation is that is uh, uh, impacting our community. So I commend you for that. I did read in one of your pieces where you said that you went on a 10-year presidential drought. Uh, yeah. And as of 2021, <laughs> uh, January January the 1st, that drought is over. Uh, you is. are the newly installed president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. Before we get into the topics of the day, tell us about the organization and tell us a little bit about your current, well, about your new role. Yeah, absolutely. So um, as president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, it's a historic organization for so many reasons. We were founded in 1973, which we're coming up on our 50th anniversary very soon. And we are the oldest and the first um, black journalist association of its kind um, in America. It started in Philadelphia, right here, you know. And what's interesting about the organization is that we predate the National Association of Black Journalists which was founded in 1975. Our founders, some of them, Asa Moore, Chuck Stone, a couple other great legends, you know, Reggie Bryant, um, great people like that were the founding founders of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. And then they went to D.C. in 1975 with a bunch of other journalists across the East Coast and across the country. Uh, over four, I think it's over 44 founders. Um, they started the National Association of Black Journalists, and then that's how it started. So we are the founding chapter. We are the first. Um, there are three chapters um, that predate the National Association of Black Journalists. That's the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, the Pittsburgh Association of Black Journalists, and the Baltimore um, Association of Black Journalists. So those three are our founding three. 
but we were the first. So, so <laughs> I, I, I had the blessing uh, of serving as the 34th international president of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. And, and when I was elected third youngest president in its history, 100, 106 year history, I, 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 one of the things that excited me is my picture went up on the wall. <laughs> so, so, so now you are the youngest president of one of the oldest, uh, uh, one of the oldest, um, arms of the Association of Black Journalists. I, I can't move on without asking you, how does that make you feel, man? Well, you know, I, I, I feel honored. Um, Your picture's I'm, on I'm, the wall, man. I'm, yeah, I'm grateful. <laughs> um, I'm very, um, the time couldn't have come at a better time. You know, I, I feel a sense of duty. I've served as the vice president um, before my presidency. So it, it wasn't like I'm coming out of the sky. But the time, you know, I just feel like the time is right. I think that the organization um, really, really needed um, a change. I think that, you know, we've always been headed towards modernity over the past couple iterations. But right now there is a, uh, we're in a pandemic. We're in a time of, of racial unrest, which you've always been. But we're at a time where the industry is changing, and I think that the type of leadership the organization needs um, needs to reflect that industry change in a way that isn't just studying it, but actually walking it. You know, I'm an entrepreneurial journalist. You know, I have a media company. I've I do I do professional freelance work. I am someone who is trying to elevate black media ownership and entrepreneurship in the journalism space. I'm not a fan, you know, I work with companies, but I don't work for them is how I say it. And I'm trying to get more black journalists to understand the power of their voices and their value, even when navigating these different industries, because we are getting exploited out here. We're getting, you know, excluded. And my success and the work that I've been able to achieve in my career, there are things I learned about the business that I really want to install in the, the future generations and even the current um, members, some of which are many of the members of the organization is definitely older than me. Um, and I believe there's ideas that I would like to um, bestow upon them. And there's things that I can learn about them, about the history as well. So this is a, a cross-generational leadership. My board is incredible. You know, I have people on my board that are in their, I believe we have 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And my board has six members. I think we have a person in every group from fifth from the 20s to the 60s in my on my board and that's no easy feat you know so we have a lot of cross-generational leadership and diversity and that really makes me happy that leads me to my next question. Um, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about the state of black journalism in this pandemic-ridden uh, society. Uh, I'm looking at folks who I, I admire a great deal, guys like Hiram Jackson, who owns several of the uh, longstanding black newspapers uh, in the country. Uh, I look at Roland Martin, who's been on this show, uh, and and what he does with uh, Roland Ma- with his with his program pushing forth the views and the positions of black people uh, in this society. Uh, And there's so many other people that we can call out. But in your opinion, as the new president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists and as a longstanding member, what is the state of black journalism in America right now? I think that we are in a situation where we are seeing 
progress, but we're also seeing um, we're seeing progress, but we're also seeing limitations of progress. Okay. I would say limitations of progress is the state of black media, right? Where we're seeing people go so far only to still be reminded of how much they still have to climb. You know, we're still caught up in representation politics, which is the whole, well, you know, this is the first black executive director at this company. And, you know, we just finally hired our first black blah, blah, blah. And, and while those things are inspirational and they are and they're, and, they're, and they're promising, right, they don't deliver the goods per se. And I think that one of the things we have to stop doing, and this is not even just in media, but when we, we, when we put these black people in these positions that are in these white institutions, we put too much pressure on them to have to, you know, address things, right? I, I'm the first black editor at large for Philadelphia Magazine, and this is in their 112-year history. But one of the things that I've reiterated to, you know, folks who are following me and the community at large is that I don't want them to see this position as being the end-all, be-all for progress um, at the publication or look at me as the sole voice that's going to save and transform it. Because I think, first of all, that's higher than my pay grade. Second of all, I don't like to do anything by myself, and I don't like the Messiah complex um, or that type of savior complex. I believe that what I can do is utilize the position the best way I can to open up new opportunities, but I don't want to look at any of these situations as saving graces. And too often we put a lot of black leaders in rooms where they're the only one and we expect them to create those miracles by themselves. And we have, to, we have to build an army. We have to build a team. We have to build a coalition. We have to build, you know, a, a unit. And so I'm about building uh, coalitions. I, uh, every step of my career, from the very beginning, I have never not been a part of black journalism organizations. I've never not been a part of um, media groups, in, in, whether it was local or national. And too many of these journalists are super successful, right? But then they fall into problems, and then they find themselves situations where they, they need to lean onto these black groups and communities. It's like, why do that when you fall? You should be doing that while you're successful. And that was one of the biggest advices, pieces of advice that my mentors have given me over the years is that you need to be present in your community in your success. Don't wait until something bad happens to lean on the community. Be there and be present and not lose your way. And that's something that has been, I'm seeing in the state of journalism where black media specifically is that there's a lot of people having all these opportunities, but I don't see them considering the rest of the larger black media community. Like their individual success does not oftentimes yield things for everyone else. And if you're in an environment where you're the only black person all the time, you're going to be bound to, to not succeed as much as you think. My success is off of the shoulders of black giants. My success is off of the listenership, readership, and support and subscriptions of black readers before I got somewhat mainstream. If I didn't get those views, those clicks, and that promotion from a lot of black local uh, media outlets and groups prior to my success, I don't think I would be here where I'm at. Well, actually, I would know I would not be where I'm at today. So I think that anybody who was a leader or, or, or have a position of prominence um, in the black media spaces needs to really not only talk the talk, but invest the time, the money, and the resources 
to support this industry because we are getting hit the hardest. Wow. I I love what you just said about uh, being in the community while you're successful and not just leaning on the community when you fall. Uh, I like to call that the OJ syndrome because OJ forgot all about being black. OJ Mm -hmm. forgot all about being black until he got in trouble. Uh, And then all of a sudden he's with the Nation of Islam and everybody else uh, trying to lean on the community. That's powerful, man. And thank you for sharing that with our audience. Let's get into this, man. Uh, Almost $50 million dollars was appropriated by the federal government to educate the community on the efficacy and the benefits uh, of this new uh, coronavirus vaccine. But that contract for all of that money went to one company, iHeartMedia. Uh, mm-hmm. There are so many black-owned media outlets, uh, so many outlets that target black folk that did not see any of and will not see any of those dollars. I still see racism prevalent uh, in in the appropriation of funding uh, to black media, to black journalism. Uh, uh, Man, what's your take on that? uh, And how do we overcome that challenge? Well, one of the things I've been doing on the local level is that I've made a point and see, let me, let me, you know, I'm going to, you know, this is, this is that me talking, (laughs) you know, this is that side of me that come out when I start getting into it. But one of the issues that we have to do, and this is something that I have tasked in this role as president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, is that we have to start as advocates centering black issues. And let me say why I say the word black, because what has happened lately is that we have been consistently lumped into minorities, people of color, and that's fine in the larger conversations. But what has happened is that every time we have kind of gotten into this group where they bunch us together in this diversity inclusion initiative, black people still fall at the bottom. I have seen promotions in companies where in cities like Philadelphia, where we are the majority, the plurality of of racial identities, there's more black people than any other racial group in Philadelphia. But when you look at promotions and hiring and advancements in Philadelphia in media per se, they'll, they'll, they'll promote uh, um, Asians. They'll promote, you know, they're starting to really, you know, increase the focus on the Latinx community. But black people continue to still be left out of the conversation. And so what I think is really important is, is that a lot of that is because we've always felt like we've had to build coalitions with other groups. And we should always have that affinity group n- n- notion But we should also make it a point that when we step into these rooms, we need to talk about the anti-blackness. Because when you have rooms that don't have black people in them, they're anti-black. They're still perpetuating white supremacy. To make it a point to exclude black people out of diversity, inclusion initiatives and opportunities is an affront to any conversation. You cannot have a diversity, inclusion conversation without black people in America. Because it was our labor, it was our experience that really set the tone for the civil rights that we have had for over 50 years now. You can't leave black people out of that conversation. And I'm seeing a lot of organizations do the people of color thing, the, the, the black and brown people thing, the, the minority thing. And yet every single time I look at some of this progress, it's not coming to us. And I think that's because they found a new way to erase blackness from the conversation. To exclude us. 
Yeah, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Well, listen, January the 20th is coming fast and furious. I think most of us believe uh, that the guy that's currently in the White House is going to get out of there. Uh, if right. not, I believe somebody's going to come help him get out of there. Uh, but but we've got we've got a historic administration coming in. Uh, we've got what everybody calls the bridge coming in as the new president uh, of the United States. Biden, he was the f- first black president's vice president. Now he's the president of the first female vice president, the first black vice president, mm-hmm. um, uh, 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 black issues. Uh, uh, and, and I will say this before you even speak. I commend this administration for the diversity that I see uh, in the cabinet positions that are being uh, selected. Uh, I do believe that uh, uh, that black folk have gotten a lot of the lower level positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I just mm-hmm. want to be real about that. But, right. but I do commend him on diversity, and I still believe there are a couple more positions. I'm holding out uh, that That's we'll right. get more than defense secretary. That's right. Uh, but, 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 but will black issues be addressed in this administration? Do we see this as the panacea? Uh, can we relax now, or do we have to now become even more aggressive when it feels like we have an administration that will actually hear our voice? Right. Yes, absolutely. I think one of the things that we need to understand is that, let me just be clear. Every presidency requires black attention. Let's not forget what country we live in. We should always be monitoring and and keeping a close eye on the White House. When I hear people, you know, act like it's an option, you know, and I'm not talking about you. I'm thinking about just the community at large. When people say, okay, it's a sigh of relief, things are going to be better. That's wrong. We as a community, specifically as black people, have not gotten what we deserve from either of these political parties. Right. So there's nothing, there's nothing for us. Now, if I was a white woman, maybe I'll take a breather or relax, right? Or a white man or something, right? But as black people, both of these political parties have not served us well. Because if they did, we would not be having the type of poverty we have in our communities, especially to be factual in communities that are being led and ran by Democrats. So if, you know, I, I wouldn't want them to be ran by Republicans, but let's be clear, I'm looking at Philadelphia right now. We had a homicide rate that's, that's nearly 500 people last year, which is the highest it's been since, I believe, the 1990s. It's been high, like nearly 30 years, record-breaking. And this is happening at a time where, you know, we got a majority Democratic Party. We got all these black city council members. We got all this, quote unquote, you know, progressiveness, but we still have these problems. And so as long as we have these issues, we should always keep our eyes open. But I also think we should even be extra hard um, and focused on Biden because we know that Biden knows better and Biden has said he will do better. Biden said that he's going to have the black communities vote that the back when he uh, accepted his um, victory in Delaware, um, in Wilmington, Delaware, I think the night of the election, right? The, well, not the night of the election, a couple of days after. But when he accepted that victory, gave that victory speech, he said the black communities had his back and he was going to have theirs. So we as a community got to hold him to it. And holding him to it is like being very um, um, critical and thoughtful and, and productively critical. Let me be clear about that. Um, about his appointments, about his policies, about his initiatives, and we should be doing that all the time. For some reason, when black people complain or have a critique, we, we're looked at as being difficult, but, 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 but everyone else has been doing it for years. 
it's called the government. Am I not supposed to be upset about where my taxpayers dollars are going? Am I not supposed to be upset about the government that's supposed to protect and serve me, allegedly? Like, this is the stuff that matters. So if there's ever a time to be critical, you know, we can't be critical about anything. We can't be critical about the food we eat, the restaurants we go to, the, the clothes we buy. But politics and policy impacts my life. So you you darn right I'm going to be critical about it. Uh, we are listening to Philly's Favor 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. Uh, you're in the pastor's office with Pastor Jonathan Mason, and today we're having a riveting conversation uh, with uh, journalist extraordinaire and president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists, Ernest Owens. Ernest, I, I'm really enjoying our conversation today. I just want to end on this topic before we uh, move uh, move on. Uh, there's a new round of funding. We just had the owner of New Tech Small Business business services on in our first uh, session segment today. Uh, he was talking about access to these dollars. Uh, as a black journalist, um, as a journalist in Philadelphia, I think you can attest to the fact that a lot of our small businesses did not see any of that money. Uh, a lot of our a lot of our people did not see that money. One in six black business, one in six small businesses is closing, many of them owned by black business owners. How can black journalists uh, mount up uh, and and provide good information uh, to our public, to our community on how to get help. People are suffering right now. Uh, I, we do food giveaways here all the time. I see cars in those lines that I never thought I'd see before. People that I never thought I'd see before. There's hurt going on in our community and one of the things we've seen is that a lot of these small mom and pops, these young businesses, they don't know how to get access to these dollars. What can we do as black journalists to help them access and to help them benefit from what's been uh, re released by the government? So there's several things that I, I want to say about that. That's a very good question. And I've actually been thinking about it a lot because, you know, I've been very blessed and fortunate, you know, this, this, this pandemic to get a lot of grant money. You know, I received the PA state grant. I received the, the Facebook grant. I received the PayPal grant. And I've been, you know, getting a lot of, um, you know, fiscal support. You know, actually with that money, some of it I used to launch my podcast, which is called Earnestly Speaking, which is now available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the major other outlets. But one of the things that I have noticed lately, though, is that so many people, of course, like you said, did not get it in a lot of black businesses. But what I will tell you as someone who, you know, has friends and people I know who've worked at the African-American Chamber of Commerce, these groups, a lot of our people are not, there's, there's several things. One is that they are not keeping up with their financial literacy and keeping their business up with like, you know, information on EIN number, their certifications, their documentations, and preparations for getting the types of certifications um, that can make them a strong, you know, um, candidate or competitive, a competitive candidate. There was a lot of grants out that was specifically targeted towards black businesses. And I think that what I noticed is that the people who got those grants, including myself, were younger, were more tech savvy, were, were more, um, you know, just, you know, in the loop more. When I'm looking at some of these smaller businesses, they're not getting websites. They're not engaging with media. They don't, they don't, they don't do this. And I think there's a disconnect here with that people were just not prepared as much as they could during the pandemic. Now, let's be clear, discrimination was taking place. We know this, this, this has always been the case for anything that we get involved in with this country. But there are situations where I think this was a learning lesson where we need to recognize in our community 
that we need to really get serious about enforcing preparation for these types of times. You know, my business, you know, I used to always say, Ernest the Empire, it was built to last. It was built to last because whether it was a pandemic or whether it was, um, you know, a great economy or whatever, my business didn't stop. My business was ready to be translated in a way that was going straight to digital. A lot of biz Black-owned businesses are not prepared that way. And so what I think needs to happen now is that with government, and even with journalists specifically, is that we need to start having these conversations always about resources towards Black businesses on the city level, not just the federal level. You know, stimulus checks are nice, but we need to be having a conversation about government resources. One of the things I did as a reporter uh, a year ago was I wrote this piece about how only 3.5% of black or businesses in Philadelphia are black owned. And a lot of people were baffled by that small, I think it was 2.5, I think it was, or, you know, it was a very small, very, very, very ridiculously low number. And people were like, wait a minute, how was that possible in a city like Philadelphia? And part of it is, is that a lot of people are not registering their businesses with the city department. They're not, you know, getting their businesses certified. They're not joining their African-American chambers of commerce. They're not building the type of network that would give them these resources. When you start a business as a black business owner, you need to build community. Community is not your customers, right? That, that's, your, that's your customers. But you need to build a network of business. And that is through your, your black chamber of commerce that need, people need support. Because one of my good friends, and people I know as a business owner work at the African-American Chamber of Commerce. They work there. And what, they, what I've seen them do is that they built this network, right, where they, they pay an annual membership fee, right, but they are in the system. And so when there are resources, grants, fundings, and things like that, they are getting the direct access to them. And so as a member of the African-American Chamber of Commerce myself in my city, I got all of these, these state elected officials, Congressman Dwight Evans, all these elected officials doing webinars telling me how to apply for these grants. But every time I thought about it, I kept saying to myself, where are these resources for those folks who are not in these networks? And the truth of the matter is, they don't give them to them. That's right. They're not expanding them. And so I want to tell black people, rather than wait for the government to get it right, start joining these groups invest that money. People complain, but when you have a business, you have to invest in your business. So get those chamber memberships, go to these events, be in this network. You have to network. And I think a lot of our black business owners who are, you know, some of the mom and pop shops, they're so focused on their product that they don't think about those other factors. But in this type of environment we're in now, that is part of how you keep business. Because if you don't network, if you're not staying um, digitally connected, if you're not engaging with the larger business community, your business will suffer. Wow. Thank you for sharing that, because that's such critical information. And, and in Philly's favorite listeners, again, we're with Ernest Owens, the president of the Association of Black Journalists. He's also the editor-at-large for Philly Mag magazine, uh, the first black editor-at-large in the 100-year-plus history of this periodical. And I think you can see why after talking to him uh, for the last 30 minutes. Listen, Ernest, I want you to do me a favor. Uh, share with our Philly's Favor audience how they can stay connected to you, uh, how they can find your work, uh, how they can get to know more about you and what you're doing. Absolutely. So my um, website is ernestowens.com. 
um, E-R-N-E-S-T-O-W-E-N-S.com. And pretty much all of my um, information is there. That's my direct source for all updates. But I'm also on social media, um, verified on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the blue check mark. So if you just put in Ernest Omas in your search engines, I'll easily come up. And um, I'm very good at, you know, engaging. I'm always keeping stuff fresh. You know, I got some good news today about my new podcast that just came out. Um, the sneak peek episode of my podcast just came out right before the end of the year, of uh, end of 2020. So I'm coming into 2021 with a brand new podcast that I just launched myself. I'm producing it. I'm working on it. Uh, we put a sneak peek episode out last week. It's available right now on Apple Podcasts. It's called Earnestly Speaking, which is a playoff of my name. And it's just E-R-N-E-S-T-L-Y. We don't use the A at all. And it is a podcast that talks about uh, my perspectives, about the news, and about my personal life, and about what's going on around me. And it is doing well. We're going to talk about it. It's got a five-star rating right now from um, the first listeners that's been listening for the past couple of days. And people can just go on there, write good reviews, and keep giving it five stars. But the reviews are doing really well. I'm super excited about it. Um, you know, I took a risk by doing this, but it's, it's something that was worth it. And, you know, I had faith, you know, I said, listen, um, with this podcast, you know, I told myself I want to do one, but you know, it's, it costs money to put on a good podcast. You got to get all the equipment, you got to get all the stuff, but the grant money came in. And so that was a sign to me. That was a sign, um, to say, you know what, if I get this money, let me make this investment. Let me, let me invest in myself in a new year and let me invest in something I think is going to reach out to people in a different way because you know there's different ways to reach out to black people you know we you know newspapers is one way magazines another but we have to you know expand our horizons and i'm very impressed with you as a pastor that you're finding various ways to reach out to different people from different backgrounds because too often you know i grew up in the pentecostal church my grandmother who passed away she grew up in church of god in christ and we was in the deep south and you know, it was a very traditional setting. You know, they just would just do church and do Bible study, and that was it, prayer calls. But, like, seeing the evolution of people, you know, take advantage of, you know, doing radio and doing all these different things is a good way to reach out to people and connect to people. And also talking to people about issues that impact them outside of the church, which is very powerful. So I want to thank you for having the show like this. Hey, listen, thank you for coming into the pastor's office. And anytime the spirit moves you, uh, feel free to give us some free publicity with one of your great articles. We just Absolutely. launched in June. So we, we, we need Philadelphia to know uh, about Philly's favor, 100.7 FM and 99.5 HD3. Hey, listen, man, you are moving. Uh, you are somebody we want to stay connected to. Uh, because we want to continue to promote what it is that you're out there doing to help our community and to continue to provide great information for our community. Ernest Owens, congratulations on being the president of the Philadelphia Association of Black Journalists. Congratulations on being the first editor, black editor-at-large of Philly Magazine. Uh, and thank you for just being you. God bless you, my friend, and thank you for coming on in the pastor's you. office. talk now about the state that we are living in mm. political spiritual maybe some lies while you are listening to Phyllis Faber yeah.